to the last week of New Through 30. Uh, this, uh, we've been on an, an experience. It's not just a series. It's been an experience of reading through the entire New Testament in just 30 days. And uh, I, I don't know how all of you did, but I talked to someone this morning that, you know what? For me, it's not New Through 30. It's New Through 300. Anybody else riding that train? Anybody else like, I am barely making my way through this thing, slowly but surely is what counts, right? Uh, And I want to encourage you that if you did not finish the New Through 30 in 30 days, keep going, don't give up, don't feel bad, don't feel guilty. Uh, The the motivation behind doing this experience was so that we all together would prioritize the Word of God in our lives. And I hope that you've done that over the course of the last 30 days. We've been hearing great stories of how God has been speaking to people through His Word. And in fact, I heard a story this week that was amazing to me. Uh, one of our gentlemen in this church uh, not only completed New Through 30, but completed it right on time. He finished Revelation last Friday, and he told me that God spoke to him in such powerful ways that he felt like God was calling him to do it again. Lap number two, right? Repeat it. Read the New Testament through again in the next 30 days, and this time keep like a prayer or a Bible reading journal as he does it. Uh, so God is, is speaking powerfully to people. And uh, again, do not feel bad or guilty. I've got a little bit of catching up to do on the last grace day, right? So as your leader, I'm committed to finishing this on time, and I am utilizing the grace days, right? Aren't we thankful for God's grace? So, uh, so that's where we're at, and uh, this is the last message that we're doing. And I hope you guys don't mind, but I brought my friend with me today. And I, uh, this is my friend Toby. And I like to call him Toby Mac. Right? That's awful. I couldn't decide between naming my computer Toby and calling him Toby Mac or naming my computer MacGyver because I love Macs and I love MacGyver. So I, I, was, I was on the fence, but I, I thought I'd name him Toby and call him Toby Mac. So he's my friend here today, and uh, he's going to help me out. Um, today I want to do, we've been walking through this. Zach is just shaking his head at me like, oh, man. Zach and my wife, they know that I tell stupid jokes like that all the time, and they've learned just to shake their heads and roll their eyes. So, uh, so that's, just, that's just who I am. Um, today, we've been, we've been walking through the New Testament with the theme of Jesus is. And uh, we've been looking at all these, these different facets of who Jesus is and who he can be in our lives. And, and today, I want to look at uh, the powerful message. And I want to share with you a message that I believe can absolutely change your life and have an impact on your life as we talk about the, the reality that Jesus is victorious. I want to talk to you about living in victory today through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to do that by looking at the book of Revelation. And I know you're not supposed to talk about Revelation, and I know you're not supposed to read Revelation, and I know that Revelation isn't even in the the New Testament, right? I mean, that's kind of how we live sometimes. We just ignore this this book in the back, and we say, uh, we win, and that's all we need to know, right? Uh, But I want to look at it because I believe uh, Revelation has a powerful message to share for us Uh, And in fact, I want to read to you today from Revelation chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me and follow along. Uh, We'll have the words in the passage up on the screen as well. Uh, But I want to say to you today that Revelation chapter 5 is probably one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. Revelation chapter 5. And uh, if it's okay with you, since it's one of my favorite passages and one of my favorite chapters, I just want to read the whole chapter to you this morning. Would that be all right? We're going to look at a lot of scripture here this morning, and I think it'll be good, and God is going to speak to us. So let's look at Revelation chapter 5. It says this, 
It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep, for see the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. But then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing in the center of the throne and encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into the earth. And he took from the scroll and from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And after he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell, fell down before the lamb. And each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. Don't you love it when we sing a new song? And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you have purchased for God members of every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is within them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, which means so be it. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. Now, if we go back to ancient times where Rome ruled the land, and in ancient Rome, the idea and the the rule of Rome was violence and power and influence. And the way that this influence and this power was brought about was that Rome went around with this this incessant violence. Uh, if you if you want to know who are the experts of on on the on the art of murder, it is ancient Rome. They they were experts of murder. They were perfectionists when it comes to pain. They could they could bring out of people unspeakable pain through their power and their violence. And so in ancient Rome, what we see is that as they conquer land after land and territory and people and nation after nation, what they are doing is they're gaining this power through the acts of violence and of pain and of demanding that they follow the Roman rule. And a lot of times when we come to the book of Revelation, we, we come to this book that has this, this odd imagery, what can appear to be very violent imagery. And we say, you know what? Uh, at the end of all time, God is going to come in and, and Rome ain't got nothing on, on how God knows how to kick butt, right? And, and so we, we come to Revelation and we say, Lord, what we need from you and what we want from you is for you to come into this evil world and we want you to start kicking some serious butt and using a violence that Rome knows nothing about. The U.S. military, the, the ancient Rome has nothing on the armies of God is oftentimes what we begin to think and what we feel like when we come to this book of Revelation. 
And so we, we come to this, this Revelation book, and, and we often understand that this is uh, the, the story of redemption through violence. In fact, I heard a, a preacher on the radio just this week that said the first time Jesus came, he came in love and peace, and the second time he comes, he will come in wrath and violence. And this pe- preacher began to, to paint a picture of how miles and miles will be flooded with blood that is five feet higher, and that the, the world will literally be flooded with the blood that God has shed, uh, seeking to gain the redemption of the world. And what I want to offer to you today is not a popular viewpoint of Revelation, but it, it is one that I believe is, is far more congruent with the rest of Scripture. And I want to offer you simply an alternative view of how to begin to understand this important book. Because what we, would be, what, we be, what we understand about the end has every implication for how we live today. Uh, and, and I don't want to offer you today that this is simply the right answer. I simply, if you do not agree with this viewpoint of Revelation, I simply want you to lend an ear. Uh, to, to be open to another viewpoint uh, as I share with, with this with you today because this has become something that is so close to my heart uh, because I believe very strongly that what we believe about the end has implications for how we live today. And I don't want to talk to you about uh, any timelines or how I feel like this whole thing is going to play out because I don't know. What I want to talk to you about is how Revelation speaks to our life today. What I want to talk to you about is how this book of Revelation has enormous implications for you this week as you go to your schools and your workplaces and your offices and as you hang out with your friends and all of the things that, that we have and the responsibilities in life. I believe that this book of Revelation has tremendous implications for us this week and today. And so that's what I want to share with you, uh, as we go through this now, um, so as I offer this to you, I feel like there's a couple things that we need to understand. First of all, this is a prophetic book, and it is an apocalyptic book. Uh, let, me, let me give you some framework of understanding for, for those kinds of literature. Uh, prophecy is often understood as, as future-telling, and, and I've said it before in this church, and, and I'm saying it today, and you can bet your bottom dollar I'm going to say it again. Uh, prophecy is not future-telling. It is hope for the future. Or you might say, well, that's all semantics, and that, that's really the same thing. What difference does it make? And I think the difference lies in our reaction. If we understand prophecy as telling the future, then our response to that is to begin to break out timelines and, and, and uh, begin and, and puzzle pieces and trying to put everything together. If we, if we believe that prophecy is strictly uh, just telling the future, then our response is, where do these pieces fit? And how do we begin to fit everything in a timeline? Which is often how Revelation is understood. We see it as this timeline where we've got to fill in these events that will happen sometime in the future. And what I want to offer you today is that prophecy is not future telling as much as it is hope for the future. And when we understand a prophetic word as being hope for the future, our response is not to start filling in timelines and making charts. Our response is worship of the one who holds the future. Does that make sense? Can I hear an amen from the two of you that maybe agree with me, right? There's an important distinction on the reaction that we have based on how we begin to view this book. And so we have to understand that it is, is, it is, in fact, a prophetical book. It does, in fact, talk about future things. But the intended response of this book is not timelines and charts. The intended response of this book is worship. 
Which is why we see over and over and over in Revelation, including this chapter, worthy is the one who was slain. I mean, this is a great book to start talking about worship. If we want to do a worship or a series on worship, this is a great book to start teaching it from. Because if we get past the imagery that can be confusing, what we will see is that our response is worship of the Lamb who was slain. So that's important. And you can tell that I'm just a little bit passionate about that. Now, the second thing is that this is an apocalyptic book, meaning that it does indeed talk about things that are, are uh, regarding the future. But at the same time, apocalyptic literature uses imagery that to our uh, time can seem very confusing. Uh, it can seem really weird and off base. And, 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 and how do we get a, a handle on this? And as you guys come to that, or if you've read it already, you, it, it, maybe, many of you, I would guess, have, have only read portions of Revelation. You've not ever read it all the way through. And as you do that as part of the New Through, through 30 reading plan, you will find that this, there is some really uh, compelling imagery that is hard to understand. And what I want to point out to you is that in chapter 5, it is very common, and, and what, in fact, we see it in verse 5. In apocalyptic literature, imagery is used to move the, the narrative forward. And, and oftentimes, when it comes to power or influence or violence, uh, uh, the, the imagery of an animal, a fierce animal, is often used, like a lion, right? So what we get in chapter 5 is verse five, in verse 5, as all of heaven is looking for someone who is worthy to open the scrolls, there's one of the elders who calls out, Look, here is a lion of Judah, of the root of David, right? And so we know that already he's introducing this lion. So what we would expect him to see next is, in fact, a fierce lion that comes in and begins carrying out all the rest of the events of Revelation, right? But we don't see a lion. What happens is that there's a total switch of imagery. And instead of saying, then the lion came and he started cleaning up through the same kind of of, of violent redemption or violent uh, increase in power that we saw in Rome. Instead, what we see is the imagery of a lamb. Now, the original language here is literally lambkin, little lamb. It's the diminutive form of lamb. And so what we have here is that that first we have this this picture of the lion. He is the one who is worthy. We would expect for him to come out and begin to start cleaning up. But instead what the author does is he totally flips the imagery and he says, no, no, no. A lamb has not come out. It is a little lamb. And this little lamb looks as though he has been slain. The message that I want to come across and comes across very clear in this section of Revelation and other ones that we'll look at is that when we talk about victory and the victory of God and the victory of Christ, we need to look no further than the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is, in fact, the victory of God. What seems to be and what appears on the surface to be the weakest moment uh, of the God-man, Jesus Christ, is, in fact, his greatest display of power of all time and the greatest display of power that this world has ever seen. 
And so when we talk about God being victorious, we don't need to talk about Land Rovers and, 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 and guns and military, uh, military items and, and all this kind of artillery. What we need to start talking about is the cross of Jesus Christ where the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, has been slain and then resurrected. That's what we need to talk about when it comes to the God of victory. But so oftentimes what we do is we, we praise the cross of Christ as being the victorious God. And then in the same breath, we begin to say that in the end time, God has to win the war on Satan in order to rule. And what I would want to say to you today is that when we do that, when we say that at the end of time there must be a war by which God will finally and ultimately beat Satan, what we are saying is, is we, are make, we are robbing the cross of its power of victory. Because the message I want you to hear today is that the victory has already been won. There is no victory to be had. There is no other victory that God needs to win. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, died on the cross, defeated death through the resurrection, so that Paul says to the Corinthian church, where, O oh, death, is your victory, and where, O oh, death, is your sting, because, in fact, death has already been defeated. All the sin and all the brokenness of the world has been taken up on the, into the, and on the person of Jesus Christ. The penalty has been paid, the blood has been shed, and the victory has indeed already been won. What happens is only that we need to live into that victory. What is happening now in the battle of of a war and the evil that is happening in our lives is simply that the victory has yet to be fully accomplished, but it is already won. It's like when, are the Broncos any good? Because I don't pay attention. Were they any good this past season? No, they were terrible. It's like when the Broncos were getting spanked in the third quarter. The team has already won the victory, but the game isn't over yet. Do you understand me? Jesus Christ has died on the cross. The victory has already been won. But there is work yet to do to help people come alongside and to realize that. And it has incredible implications for us in our lives. It's probably a good thing that I'm having a handheld mic so I can pull it away a little bit. Pull it away because it would be getting loud in here if it was right up here on my neck. All right? So I don't know if that speaks to you or if that means anything to you. Um, but that's the message that I want you to, come, to get today is that the victory of God is a finished work. There is nothing yet to be done except to live into that victory that has been paid and has been won. But so many times we get a picture of Jesus coming down and wiping everybody out bloodshed five feet high. You might say to me, but that's all great, and I can, I can get behind that, and that's quite motivational, especially when you scream. But if I look at Scripture, I come across Revelation 19. And so I want to look at that together. Revelation 19. Uh, let's look at verses 19, or 11, chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. 11 through 21. Because the truth is, is that there is blood in Revelation. These words of, of war are used in Revelation. 
what I want you, what I want you to understand is, is to reframe these. Because I would argue today that, that violence, that, that revelation does not promote violence. Uh, it, it rather promotes the lamb who was slain. Victory through Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. So we can take the picture of military artillery and land rovers out of our minds and begin to describe and align ourselves with the lamb who was slain. Let's, look, let's take a look at this because some of you are, are thinking to yourselves, yeah, but what about this? So let's take a look at it. I want to read Revelation 19 verses 11 through 21 together and then we'll talk about it and I'll point some things out. Um, and I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges and makes war. This is only one of two times where the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is described as making war. All the other references to war in Revelation is war is being brought upon the Lamb of God. This is only one of two times where he is described as making war. But I I think that this is going to become clear as we move along. His eyes were like blazing fire and on his head were many crowns and his name uh, and his name written, the name written on him that no one knows but he himself. And he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. So if we weren't sure up to this point, if this is in fact Jesus Christ that is being talked about, the author makes it extremely clear for us. His name is the word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with the iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper, uh, great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders, and of the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. And then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. There's a reference of war being made against the rider, the, the word of Jesus Christ, that is Christ himself. But the beast was captured. And with him the false prophet that has performed the signs on his behalf. And with these signs he has deluded those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. And the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And the rest were killed with the sword coming out of his mouth. That's an important piece of imagery. Of the rider of the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Now a traditional or a popular understanding of Revelation 19 is that uh, in the war of Armageddon, all Christians will be gathered together following the, the rider on the white horse. And, and we're going to go and with Jesus Christ as our leader, we're going to go and participate in all the bloodshed and, and, the, and the butt kicking, right? And I, I apologize for the vernacular there, but, but a lot of times that's where we're at. And... Um, I want to point out some things that I feel like are really important. Number one, the rider on the white horse is described as his robe being dipped in blood. Oftentimes, this is understood to be the blood of those whom he is killing. But I would argue today that it is not their blood, but his own blood, because this is the lamb who was slain. All throughout Revelation, we hear the lamb, the lamb who was slain, the lamb who was slain. 
And so I would argue today that it is not the blood of those people whom he, he kills and the blood that he sheds, but rather it is his own blood that is on his robe. And his followers are all dressed in white because they have been made clean and, and their robes have been white by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. It is not a righteousness that it is your, that is your own, but it is a righteousness of Christ. And so the imagery here is really important. Well, he's got a sword. And he's going and he's making war, it says. The sword is coming out of his mouth. This is not a battle sword that he would uh, wield with his hand, but rather it is a sword that is coming out of his mouth. The imagery here, I I believe, is that his only weapon is not a weapon of battle or artillery. It is simply the weapon of the word of God. And some people will, in fact, face judgment according to the will of God. When I talk about peace and our, and, and our faith in Christ alone and the shed blood of God, I'm not talking about the absence of judgment or I'm not talking about that there is no reality of hell, which is separation from God. Those things are real and they are scriptural. And in fact, his weapon is not a weapon of artillery. It is a weapon that is his, the, his word alone. That is his only weapon. And then as we look, we expect a great battle, right? We have this, this war imagery where the rider is coming in. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. He's dipped in blood. All his army is following him. We describe, we have the description of the other army. We would expect a great battle. We would expect a great war. But in fact, as we read the passage, the beast, the enemy, the evil one is already captured. There is no war. I mean, there's no war to be spoken of at all because the victory has already been won through the slain lamb of Jesus Christ on the cross. Again, I know that some of you don't agree with me, and that's okay. I just simply want you to consider this point of view. Jesus wins the battle. There's no doubt about that. But he has a totally different mode of victory than that of ancient Rome. Now, I could talk to you some more about all of this end times kind of stuff. And if you're interested in hearing more about my this kind of reading of Revelation, you can go back in the archives of our podcast. We did a series called The End Begins, where we talked about Revelation for six weeks. So if you're interested, you can go back there. But what I want to do for the rest of our, our time this morning is answer the so what question, right? So here we have all this truth and all this, this, this perspective on Revelation. And, and some of you are starting to check your watch and you're getting restless and you're saying, so what? I'm, I'm thankful that you didn't yell that at me. So what? The message I want to share with you today is I want to look at another passage because there is a particular way that Jesus invites us into this kind of victory. Because the reality is oftentimes in our lives when we try to get victory, victory over over bitterness, victory over a hurt that someone has, has perpetrated upon us, victory over an addiction, a lot of times we try the violence of our own effort. We try the violence of, of our everything that we can do. And then if we throw a little bit of Jesus in there, we'll be good too. And what I want to argue today is that the victory is found solely in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in fact, this is precisely what Revelation says. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, I want to look at verses 9 through 11. Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. 
This is, um, just to give you a little bit of a setting, this is, in Revelation chapter 12, we have the, this imagery of a woman and a dragon that are up in heaven. This woman is giving birth uh, to, to who, who is portrayed as Jesus Christ. The dragon is trying to snatch Jesus Christ just as soon as he is born. But in fact, he is, in, he is born. He's taken up to the right hand of God the Father. And what we find is that the dragon and the evil one are slung down to earth to cause a bunch of havoc. Okay? And it's not to say that the victory hasn't already been won, because it has. But the devil is there, and he's wreaking havoc on our lives, trying to steal the victory from us. If I want, to hear, if I want you to hear anything today, it is that the victory is yours, and the only thing the devil can do is steal it from you. The victory is already yours, and the only thing the devil can do is steal it from you. And he's trying his best to do that in your life today. Let's read Revelation chapter 12. Is this fun? I'm having fun. I don't know if you guys are having fun, but I love it, right? And if if we just want to have a second service, you all can stay and I'll preach it again because I'm having a great time. All right. This uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, the great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down to the, uh, to the earth and his angels with him. If you, have a, if you want to know about the problem of evil, if you want to know why, why the goodness of God is frustrated in our world, it's because the devil is in fact present in our world. He's seeking to wreak havoc and he's trying to steal away the victory that was won by Jesus Christ on the cross. He's hurled down to earth, all of his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. But they triumphed over him. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Satan has been hurled down into earth seeking to wreak havoc on you. But Revelation makes clear that brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, those who have put their faith in him, can find victory over the evil one in two primary ways. By the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. And I want to unpack that a little bit this morning. Because the blood of the lamb is where your victory lies. You need a victory in your life today. You need victory over a hurt. You need victory over depression. You need victory over an addiction. You need victory over your psycho boss at work. Because I know they're out there. The victory has already been won. It is possible for you today to overcome that victory, to overcome that addiction, to overcome and treat that psycho boss like they're a real person loved and created by God. And that doesn't mean you have to work there. But it does mean that you can be human there. And that you can treat them with respect as a person created by God. Victory is available to you today, and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we identify ourselves with this man, Jesus Christ, who has shed his blood, then it is possible for us to be victorious in this life. And some of you today are having a hard time believing that you will ever find victory over whatever it is that you're fighting. And I want to say to you today that the victory has already been won on your behalf through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Christ that enables you to be called a child of God. It is the blood of Christ that makes you righteous. And it's not a righteousness of your own, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. 
It is the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed you white as snow. It is the blood of Christ that has brought to you and made possible for you today the victory over whatever it is you're facing. The blood of Christ and his resurrection. And I don't know where you all are on your faith journey. If you've been following Jesus for a long time or if you're here today and this is the first time you've ever walked through the doors of the church. What I want you to know today is that Jesus Christ matters. His death and his resurrection matters. And in fact, that is the road to victory in our lives. That's not the only road, but that's the primary road. You understand that? If we try to find victory in community alone, we will not find it. If we try to find victory in, in, in self-help and, and some, in books and all this other stuff alone, we will not find it or only a measure of it. But if we want to live fully victorious in this life, the core foundation of that is that it is found by identifying ourselves with the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Amen? So Revelation tells us that even though the evil one, the devil was hurled down to earth with all of his angels. The brothers and sisters of Christ triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. Nothing that you do can conclude or finish the work of Christ any more than it is already finished. It is a finished work of Jesus Christ. What we simply do is we testify to that truth. We identify ourselves with the blood of Jesus, and then we testify to that truth, and we live it to make it our own. Now, like I said earlier, our our, our tendency is to find victory through our own sort of violent effort. Um. This week, Amy was on a business trip uh, to Kansas City. So I was playing single dad. And, uh, of course, we had a babysitter through the day, most, most days. And, uh, but I, I'm picking her up and dropping her off. And, and our little daughter, Jaden, she's two. And um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm not very good with kids. Like, I, I love my daughter, but I am just not a kid person. Like, I would be the worst children's pastor on the face of the planet. Like, I'd be like, sit down and be quiet. You know, like, behave yourself. And it's easy for me to lose patience. And so here I am, I'm, I'm, uh, especially early on in the week, Jaden and I are both adjusting to Amy being gone. And, and, and I'm feeling pretty short-tempered. And uh, I found myself being pretty impatient. With, with our daughter, Jaden. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I'm not beating her and throwing her against the wall or anything like that. Like, don't call the authorities. I just find myself being impatient with her, you know? And, and I'm thinking, this is not right. And in fact, I believe it's sinful for me to jump to being angry so quickly with my daughter as she and I are making the adjustment without mom in the home. And... Amy is a phenomenal woman, so when she leaves, it's hard, right? And so we're making that adjustment, and I'm like, this is sinful for me to do this. And in fact, I need victory over this. And I was working on this message, and I thought, I could find victory by demanding that Jaden succumb to my will 
through yelling and threats. Or the alternative is, I, be, I could begin to identify myself with the shed blood of Jesus Christ who is forgiving and loving and peaceful. And I could begin to declare the word of that testimony. And I could say that through Christ I am righteous and this anger does not need to rule in my heart in the way that it is. I know this is, I'm, I'm being pretty uh, upfront with you all. Um, and what I found is that as I declared that victory through Christ, there's something changed in me. Jesus didn't change. God didn't change. The victory had already been won. But what I found is that something changed in my heart as I declared the reality of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? That's kind of a goofy example, right? Um, Where it's like, Jesus helped me not to yell at my daughter, but guess what? Jesus cares! If you're being sinful against your daughter because you're too quickly moving to anger and do this or it's the naughty step, you know? (laughs) That's the discipline in our house, the naughty step. Some of you keep laughing. You're going to be on the naughty step. (laughs) But you understand the point. Regardless of what you need to find victory over, Jesus Christ, the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the word of your testimony can be so powerful in your life. Another example of maybe you need to find victory over, over some unforgiveness or, or, or bitterness and uh, you've been hurt and you could try to find victory by, by holding forgiveness against that person. You could try to find victory by uh, seeking to offend that person with an equal or greater offense. Or you could simply say that when I am unforgiving, the, person in, the only person in chains is me. And you could set yourself free through the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of your testimony. So, as I have myself needed to experience some victory in different areas of my life, um, I have found myself saying, what do I do, right? Because there's this, there's this reality that there's nothing we can do. I've said that. There's nothing we can do. The victory of Jesus has already been won. But if you're anything like me, you're saying, that's great. What do I do, right? And so I, I want to give to you what I feel like can be life-changing statements. And I call them victory declarations, Victory, victory declarations that as we identify ourselves with the shed blood of Jesus Christ and then declare these scriptural truths over our life, I believe that God will begin to give us the victory over whatever it is you're facing. And I know that sounds goofy, but I think there's a huge power of speaking the word of God and the truth of God over our lives. And so I want to enable you and give you some tools by which you can do that. And it's by doing that, you're not winning the victory. You are simply naming the victory that has already been won on your behalf and live, doing your best to live into and, and appropriate that victory in your own life. Does that make sense? So let me give you um, these victory declarations, which by the way, every one of you, as you leave today, uh, are going to get a little card with these victory declarations. Put it in your Bible, on your bathroom mirror, on your refrigerator, uh, wherever it is that you're going to be able to see these things and begin to speak them over your life. And I believe God's going to help s- many of us begin to find victory in our lives. Because um, I think that's something that we need desperately today in the church. The declarations are this. The victory over blank. Fill in the blank. Whatever it is in your life. 
the victory over this is already mine through Jesus Christ. The second one, through faith I am made righteous and I am called a child of God. Try declaring that over your life right when you're tempted to look at porn. Right when you're tempted to scream at your spouse, try speaking this truth over your life. Through faith I am made righteous and I am called a child of God. And I believe that God will help you find the victory in your relationship, in your marriage, over that addiction. Whatever it is, just declaring the righteousness that is ours through Jesus Christ can have incredible power in our life if we will learn to do it. And then the last victory declaration is the battle for blank. Whatever it is, your marriage, your bitterness, your depression, the battle for that has already been fought and I am victorious through Christ. Now, how can we say that? Because scripture tells us that all the sin and the brokenness of the world was brought upon Christ and he paid the penalty, he shed the blood, and then he rose again so that death could no longer reign because those brokenness and sin belong to death and death does not belong. Amen. And so that's how we can say that. That's scripturally why we can proclaim and declare these things over our lives. 